Thanks for listening to the Georgetown Christian Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 9 and 1030 and learn more at georgetownchristian.org. Georgetown Christian. I want to invite you to turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 24. And I'm going to pick up in verses 4 through 7, but I will introduce kind of the setting there. So if you feel like reading verses 1 through 3 while I give you a news update, um, you may have already heard all of this. The Israel-Hamas war was reignited on October 7th when Hamas continued their genocidal war against Israel with a coordinated surprise attack. The attack began on the Sabbath, which means that no observant Jew would have been on a computer or cell phone or any kind of phone, let alone at work. So with a barrage of 5,000 rockets approximately launched from the Hamas-controlled Gaza Strip against Israel, this whole Middle East war is reignited. Approximately 2,500 Palestinian militants breached the Gaza-Israel barrier and attacked civilian communities and at Israel-Israeli military bases near the Gaza Strip. At least 1,400 Israelis were killed, including 260 people at a music festival. Unarmed civilian hostages and captured Israeli Israeli soldiers were taken to the Gaza Strip, including women and children. Israel responded that day in retaliatory strikes before declaring war the next day. Really heavy. Just some quick levity and then back into that heavy. My uh, oldest son, Noah, 17, and he was invited to a concert uh, earlier this fall by a friend who provided him a free ticket and a free ride. And Andrea and I are not concerned about the friend or the drive to Louisville or even the very late bedtime that this concert would prompt. But what we were concerned about is what might happen at the concert because there are a bunch of people we don't know around him. Imagine beginning to hear reports that that whole concert was under attack by a foreign enemy. That's what happened in the Middle East starting two weeks ago. 200 innocent civilians just at one concert were murdered by Hamas. Yesterday, Doug Melton asked in our men's breakfast, uh, it's the third Saturday of every month, and you can be assured if you're a man that you're going to be walked through the word and that you'll also hear testimony of men like yourselves who are trying to live like and for Christ. And that you're going to have a really full belly. (laughs) Thank you to Susan and Robin and Betty for cooking for us. But Doug asked us, do you think that what's happening in the Middle East has any bearing on how a Christian should act today? And he just let us think about it, and then we discussed it. And of course we prayed, and I want to let you know that today, again, we'll be praying at the end. Jesus taught about what the end would not look like 
and what the end would look like. Scripture speaks numerous times across all of its pages about the end, and it describes what life will be like, and so we could have an 11 billion point sermon today, but we're going to try to focus just today on what the end times do not look like according to the teaching of Jesus. And then next week, of course, we won't cover every single detail across the whole Bible, but we will talk about what the end time will be like. So we're in Matthew 24, and I said I would set up for you kind of where they're at, because I think geographically it matters. So they're leaving, if you start in verse 1, they're leaving the temple, and so they have to walk what, and this is hard to imagine, but yes, if you Google how far from the temple to the top of the Mount of Olives, TripAdvisor today will tell you, and this is hard for us to imagine, but they're walking down the Kidron Valley, and according to TripAdvisor, this could take you 18 to 26 minutes, depending on how well you can walk. But you're going to travel down the Kidron Valley, and you're going to travel back up the other side to the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives, you need to think of as maybe like the knobs. Not a massive mountain like you think of with the Rockies. And so Jesus and his disciples are making this descent from the temple, and they're making an ascent to the Mount of Olives where he sits down and has this conversation. If you've hiked Rose Island, then you have walked from the parking lot down a very nice paved path, but it's steep. And then you've walked back out. It might be like that, but over a longer distance. If you've ever sat in the top of the Galt House, which I think I did for dessert one time, and because I was curious, you can get dessert there for $10. So you could go try this out if you want. You can see from the top of that Galt House because it would be approximately the same height as the Mount of Olives, and, and you would look, but imagine that you're in the temple and you're looking out to the Mount, I'm sorry, you're in the, on the Mount of Olives and you're looking back towards the temple. This is the setting for which Jesus delivers this teaching. It's approximately 318 feet. That's about the height of that restaurant on top of the Galt House. So that's where Jesus and his disciples are gathered when he gives this discourse and he teaches them the following things that are specifically about what the end is not. And number one, I want to just cover before we just randomly go into a series. I know we're on evangelism, but we need to talk about this. Jesus does not know. He says the angels do not know the day or the hour. So you're not going to hear me or any other Georgetown Christian teacher or leader tell you that they know the day or the hour. So let's hear what else Jesus tells us. We're starting in verse 4. Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. So our point number one, if you want two action verbs, you're the kind of person that has a list and you got to check it off. I'm going to give you two. Number one is watch out. And you can find it right here, the words of Jesus in Matthew, chapter 24, verse 4. Watch out. And the way that he says watch out is an imperative, and it's a command. And our next one, number two, will also be a command. Now, I want to, I want to try to hear this like his disciples heard it. 
So he has a triumphal entry coming just days later from this. There's a triumphal entry coming to where he comes into Jerusalem. And, and at his triumphal entry, you'll remember he's descending the same mount and he's on his way into Jerusalem. And as he's coming, riding on the back of a donkey, then his followers, Scripture says his disciples, that's not the 12, it's the, the whole mass who maybe followed more at a distance. They began laying down, you remember probably, palm branches and some their cloaks. Because remember what they were anticipating. In the Jewish mind, they were searching for and anticipating the arrival of a Messiah. That means a, an anointed one, a chosen one by God to lead God's people into the rule that they expected Israel to have. They expected Jesus to be that. And in our New Testament, we understand Jesus is that. But the Jewish mind understood it differently. They understood it very politically. And make no mistake, Jesus is political. He is the king. That's as political as you get. He is the king. But they expected it to be absolutely material and physical and to basically overthrow the Roman government. That's how a Jewish mind would have understand, understood a messianic claim. And Jesus says to watch out for this. In verse 24, he, or sorry, verse 4, he says, watch out that you're not deceived. In Acts, I believe it's chapter 5, verse 36 and verse 37 and also Acts chapter 21, we see this happen. Luke actually records this happening. He says there's Theodos, he says there's Judas the Galilean, and he says there's the Egyptian. And they have all claimed to be messiahs. In fact, they've, they've gathered uprisings and they were put down. But there were messiahs that followed Jesus' death and resurrection and his ascension, even in the book of Acts. John wrote to the early church, and he wrote about false teachers. Hear the words of John from 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. <clears throat> Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now... Many antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. So false teachers will lead by deception, and they'll lead many to apostasy. So I'm going to do what I think John was trying to do for the church. And I want to talk to you about apostasy briefly as we move on from watch out to Jesus' next point. There was a conference held two, maybe three weeks ago in Atlanta, Georgia, by North Point Church, where Andy Stanley is the pastor. I've read a lot of Andy Stanley's books. I've listened to some of Andy Stanley's sermons. There is one book by Andy Stanley that shaped the way I preach. But the conference Andy Stanley held was for the purpose of, on the front, ministering to Families whose children are pursuing 
same-sex relationships. And here's where the apostasy comes in. Here's why John writes to the early church that you have to not be deceived by an antichrist. And I do not mean to tell you that Andy Stanley is an antichrist. I do mean to say that Jesus is saying, watch out, because it happens just like this. I spent almost 10 hours picking apart exactly what Andy said. And if I were to tell you this, it would be hard for you to believe. But he read specifically the values of the church. We believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. Friends, that's printed on our website. We're the same in that regard. But here's what Andy did. He platformed speakers who were living in same-sex relationships. That means they were living in unrepentant sin. So there's problem number one. But problem number two was in the groups that were led for these parents, in the breakouts from the main stage, and then in two sermons the very next day at their church, there was not a call for repentance. That is literally the slippery slope. That is what it means to have a false teacher. Here's what apostasy is. It's def de denying or defying or redefining an orthodox belief, a regularly held by the church for ages belief. Like the whole New Testament will say, you cannot live in sexual immorality and inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus and Paul and the whole New Testament very clearly say this. And Andy says, and North Point say, it's just too difficult to live without a family. So some people have to enter into a same-sex marriage. And that, that is how Satan works. Remember, Satan did not first approach a couple in the garden and say, you know what, guys? Let's eat this fruit that's going to kill you. He did not say that. In fact, what he did say, it was a question. Because he's so masterful at deceit, he said, surely God did not say you will die. Apostasy does not begin as an outright affront to the lordship of Jesus Christ. It begins as a question of a fundamental truth. This sin is not sin. In fact, we're going to love this person. Doesn't that sound great? Jesus loved everybody, but he did not fail to call out sin. So when a pastor or a teacher tells his church or his followers or a small group leader tells their group or an elective leader tells their elective people that sin is not sin, or they invite them to question the truth of the word of God, then we have an apostate pastor or teacher, and they're apostate until they decide to recant. Jesus says to watch out for exactly that kind of teaching. And he tells a certain kind of people, Jewish people, his disciples, he tells them 
that you're going to want to follow them. You're going to want to follow this person, but that you have to watch out. That's our point number one. I want to go on to point number two and to verse six. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars. And you're NIV, folks. You'll remember your rumors of wars. And Jesus says, but don't panic. Now, I want to make sure Georgetown Christian is still awake because this one is so critical. Can I ask you to say that with me? Don't panic. This is going to be very important as we develop this point. Do not panic. It is, again, an imperative. It is issued as a command by our King. Our Lord Jesus issues a command, don't panic. And it's in the face of what is the beginning of the end times. It is not the end, but it is the beginning of the end times. And the instructions so far are to watch out and to don't panic. When we hear these rumors of wars, these threats of wars, try for a moment a thought experiment with me and imagine that you're just a coworker or a neighbor to a Christian that is the opposite of what Jesus has so far said. They're not watching out. In other words, they're unaware. And, and number two, they're panicked. They're the chicken with the head off. They're uh, scrambling out of worry. They're maybe, tell me if this is a stretch, they're maybe looking for a political leader in whom they can place their hope to deliver them from all of the bad feelings they have. Would that align with what Jesus said to not do? Now imagine, imagine that this, this person who is unsaved, this person who does not know Jesus, observing a Christian doing that. What does that do to their image of God in their hearts and minds? If the believers are running around, and, and let's say they're trusting in some political leader to, to lead us back to hope, what does that do to the image of God in their mind? Because they have one, I can assure you, and it is largely informed by the way that Christians behave. If you follow me on Facebook this week, you saw a question I asked about evangelism. I'm sorry, a question I asked about raising our children in Christ, and it quickly turned to how Christians have failed to behave as though Jesus is Lord of every area of their life. And it's heartbreaking because it's people that you know personally that begin to lose their faith. I think in the 21st century, we call it deconstructing our faith. And if you do deconstruction with a sledgehammer, you don't have anything left. You never rebuild. We cannot fail to watch out and then begin to live in panic. Instead, in the midst of wars and threats and rumors of wars, it is the Christian's job to walk through the middle of war and rumors of war as though we serve a sovereign Lord. And here's how you know he's sovereign. A leader that you or I might even ourselves be. 
A leader that you or I might want to lead us will never say things like Jesus says here. Jesus says these wars must happen. Those are the words of a sovereign Lord. And if we deny the sovereignty of God by our panic, our witness is ruined. We have effectively made God out to be impotent. And he's the opposite. He's all-powerful. But do our lives reflect that? I may sound like I'm standing up here and saying, I will live through a war without any fear at all. But I will tell you, friends, what I told two of my friends at men's breakfast yesterday morning in full transparency. I worry, that is a sin, I should not worry. I worry that I will turn my back on Jesus at those end times because I've never been tortured I have not even come close to been tortured. I ran a lot, and that felt bad. But I have never been tortured. And do you know what being in men's breakfast does? When you surround yourself with men who saturate their lives in the word, they listen to what you say, and they respond with scripture. You know, Chris, remember, he said at that time, when we come under persecution, he will tell us what to say. And in fact, as I'm reading last night, just preparing, I'm reading where he also says he will tell us what to say, and they won't even be able to answer us. You never think about that happening in breakfast. But God can do that with his church. Jesus says you will hear of wars and rumors of Wars and, and I want to point out that Matthew's gospel is dated around 60 to 64 AD, somewhere in there if you're looking at conservative scholarship. Rome was always, just go to Wikipedia, thousand year of war. Uh, so just in this little time period where, where Matthew is believed to have been written, they would have been in a war or having rumors of wars with Gaul, Spain, and Britain. Ultimately, in 64, the Jewish skirmishes began to pick up, and it ended with the Roman siege on Jerusalem in 70 AD. So let's just be nerdy for just a second, and I want to, to just use plain English, except for this guy's name, which is very not plain English. Um, but we have a quote, and this is from Josephus. Okay, he's a Jewish historian, and I just want to build a little bit more into Josephus because he's kind of the only guy that was writing. So over the course of my ministry, I will by definition have to reference him repeatedly. So Josephus says the level of devastation was such that Josephus claimed that those who visited the city of Jerusalem uh, after its destruction could scarcely believe it had ever been inhabited. Uh, so who is this guy? Flavius Josephus is not someone that we need to be elevating as some kind of a saint. He's simply the only person who wrote down history. Here's why. Originally, Yosef ben Matiahu, you don't have to say that because I can barely say it, was a Jewish historian and military leader turned Roman citizen. Listen to what he does. He, he initially fought against the Romans, 
then kind of seeing the writing on the wall, he surrendered, became a prisoner, and he won the favor of Vespian, and he got to serve as his interpreter and advisor. This means that he had time to write stuff down, which he did, thank God. Josephus wrote a comprehensive account of the Jewish revolt, including the fall of Jerusalem and what is called the Jewish War. So his works provide the most detailed account of exactly what Jesus said would happen. That's the only reason I care. Jesus said it would happen, and then it happened. Verse number six, I'm going to go back to verse number six. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, rumors of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place. This is language only a sovereign God can use, but... Important word for us in English, we mean, we we understand there's going to be a a juxtaposition here, but the end won't follow immediately. This helps us understand where we are, but the end won't follow immediately. The end is still to come. This is not the end. So while the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, it, it was not the end. It was merely a sign that the end is beginning. Jesus doesn't want his followers to panic and then to subsequently join someone who claims to be Messiah, who claims to give us the peace and the hope that we need because we believe the end is tomorrow. It is not. The end is not tomorrow. Jesus doesn't know when it is, but he tells us right here in Matthew 24, this is just the beginning of the end. How many times... Have you sat in a, maybe a public space, maybe a semi-private space with someone else who's not a Christian, and you've seen in the news, or you've heard someone bring up another one of those prophetic preachers, or those prophetic leaders, and maybe it's one that doesn't claim to be Messiah, but they claim to know when the world is ending, And as you sit there, if you're like me, you can see on the face, you can almost feel in the heart of that person who's not a follower of Jesus, the way that their their respect for the name of God, even for the idea of what a Christian could be, although they're not seeing it, is just diminishing every time someone says, it's going to be on December 12th, everybody. Christians look crazy. Jesus does not want us to panic. He wants us to look out, to watch out, and to not follow false messiahs. Jesus continues in verse 7. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all these are the, say it with me, Georgetown, they're the beginning of birth pains. It is not the end. Creation is under a curse. It is brought by sin, and so consequently, not only the earth, but all of the inhabitants of the earth are going to experience the results of sin. The results of sin that Paul tells us in Roman is It is the brokenness of the glory that God is supposed to be receiving. Our big church word, sanctification, our becoming more and more like Jesus is the repairing, the restoring of God's glory that we are to be reflecting. So the the world we live in lives under a curse, and that curse thereby brings with it 
war, famine, earthquakes. In the time of this gospel, historians record the following earthquakes. Antioch, 37. Phrygia, 53. Asia, 61. Lycius Valley, 61. Jerusalem, 67. They experienced what you and I experience. Earthquakes, wars, famines. Agabus notes in 1128, the book of Acts. One of them named Agabus stood up through the spirit, predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And this is so, this is the awareness that Luke has. And then before he writes this letter that we received today to this church as well, it's fulfilled. He says it right there in scripture. This happened during the reign of Claudius. You can look it up. Right there it is. So if a pastor or teacher is pointing out earthquakes and tsunamis and wars and other disasters and then claiming to know the end of the world, you know very clearly what you have on your hands is a crazy person who is not a Christian. They're apostate. They're just literally making up things. They cannot know. And now we know, Christians, that we're in the beginning of the end times because Jesus has said it in Verse 6, he said it in verse 7, and he says it very clearly in verse 8. This is the beginning of the end. So Christians, what is our job? Our job is to watch out. Our job is to watch out. That has to continue. It's not a single moment. And our job is to not panic. That means placing every day, every moment, specifically in the face of earthquakes, famines, wars, rumors of wars, during and through those trying times, placing our faith in the only sovereign Lord, Jesus Christ. Our job is to watch out and to not panic. Andrea, um, I, can I just talk about our story real quick? I probably should have asked, and I failed to do this. Uh, so, all right, it's all G-rated, and it's just the events surrounding it, nothing personal. So, should have asked. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, the begin I just want to talk about the beginnings of birth pains. And uh, I don't know about birth pains at all. Um, I only know what I'm told by my wife about the beginnings of birth pains. And I remember Grace's birth uh, pretty well. Uh, because Andrea thought that maybe she was in the beginning of birth pain, so she wanted to stay home and do things like make pancakes and walk on the treadmill and clean the house because she believed that it was only beginnings of birth pains. Now, what she did not do was decide to not pay attention and to utterly panic. Neither one of those would have prepared us for the actual birth of the child. So what she did instead was to watch out. She would time on her watch to make sure that it wasn't like the Tony Braxtons or whatever they are, the Braxton <laughs> Higgs, I think they're actually called. I live with a nurse who has educated me well. It's Braxton Higgs, but they're Tony Braxtons in our house. And so we would time the Tony Braxtons and we would time the contractions and you'd look for the water breaking. And all of that while you're watching out and also all of that while you're preparing. Is the bag packed? What all should be packed in a bag? Nowadays, you're going to need a phone charger. You go through that list of things that while you're in the hospital, you're going to want to pack a bag. And different situations call for different preparations. So at the birth of Micah, we're watching out. 
We're watching the weather because it was January. So we're watching out, and we lived in a sloped driveway that sloped towards the house at the time. And I had a one-time mistake where I didn't own four-wheel drive something. And, and so we, uh, her father and I shoveled the ice off the driveway. And, and we didn't do that uh, under a sense of guilt or, or stress or obligation. But we, in the middle of the night, were scraping ice off a concrete driveway with hope, with joy, with anticipation of a new life. Friends, Jesus wants us to watch out and to not panic. And just the same way that you might prepare for ushering a child into the world, we will watch out. We will not panic. We will, we will know what, what is clear is that a birth is near. We, we will not know exactly when baby's arriving. But because we know baby's arriving, we can act accordingly. So just to review, watch out. Deception and false messiahs. They will not come through the front door. Jude says that they're going to slip in secretly. Imagine a side door to your mind that you're just not watching. Jude says that's how they're going to come in. Satan doesn't announce, quit believing in Jesus. He asks, did he really say that? And number two, we have to not panic. Panic will change nothing but your blood pressure. What if when you're preparing to welcome a new baby, instead of packing, you panicked? You will not be prepared. Are we prepared for the return of Jesus? I, I can say, yeah, I'm prepared for the return of Jesus, but let me ask you a question. Have you ever gotten ready to leave with other people. Think about getting ready to leave with other people. You say, um, I want to leave at about 6.30. Are you ready? Oh, yeah, I'm getting ready. And you look at the clock, and it's 6.15, and all the visible signs say, not ready. And the motion, in fact, is absent. There's actually no motion, and no one in the group that you're speaking to is even kind of ready. But you chance it one more time, um, we're going to leave at 6.30, like Eastern Daylight, right? 6.30. Okay, just checking, because, you know, it's 6.20. Wanted to make sure we were ready to leave at 6.30. And I'm so proud of our kids. Andrea and I still to this day will say, it's uh, time to get ready, get in the van, we're going to leave. And we'll walk through the house saying, hey, it's time to leave, and we don't hear anything. And my blood pressure starts to rise a little bit. But I opened, I've learned to open that garage door and look out in the van and they're already sitting there because they understand what it means to get ready. They respond to all of the signs that it's time to make yourself ready. Georgetown, I don't know if you respond to the signs of the times that say you must make yourself ready. Will you wait until, G, like, like Paul describes, every knee will bow or will you bow when it's a choice? Because there's no mistake, every knee will bow. But you can, you can invite him as Lord and Savior now. Watch out. 
could mean all sorts of different things at different times. But when Jesus teaches us about what the beginning of the end looks like, and then you look at what's happening in the world, I I ask you to reflect, am I watching out? Am I ready? Am I panicking? Or am I prepared? I I ask you today uh, to consider, we're going to go through a prayer time. Uh, I want... I want to invite you to pray what's on the screen. Now, if Holy Spirit has led you to pray something entirely different, you're going to obey, and that is great. But we're going to have some prompts on the screen for us to pray as a church body. We're going to have some scriptures. Some of the scriptures will be there. Some of the prompts will be there. There'll be different times. I just want our body to pray as we recognize the beginning of the end, and we ourselves want to watch out and want to not panic, but to be prepared. So at the end of these prompts, we'll pray together the Lord's Prayer. But I want to, during that time that the prompts are being prayed, I want to invite anyone who maybe is not ready, maybe does not accept Jesus as both Savior and Lord, because when he's the Lord, he's the boss. And maybe there's something broken in that relationship in your heart, in your life, and you want to talk about how he wants to repair that. I'm going to be standing down front, and I invite you to come as we pray. Georgetown, would you stand to pray together? And the words will be on the screen in case you don't know it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom and the power and the glory are